Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays Are for the Ghouls, a podcast on the Podmoth Network. We cover all things spooky, like horror movies, true crime, the supernatural, and spooky stories in the most chaotic way possible. So join your favorite ghoul friends every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And become a spooky babe. <laughs> so spooky babes, we'll see you in your nightmares. Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Doe Identify podcast. If you are new here, my name is Haley. And for this episode, I wanted to cover some cases that aren't in the United States. Almost every single case I've ever covered is in the US. So I searched for some cases and found some across the world in Australia. I found only a handful of cases, but I chose two men for this episode. As an additional trigger warning, the topic of suicide does come up in this episode episode, but as always, I do not go into any graphic details. So let's just go ahead and get started and talk about the Sydney John Doe of the year 2001. A group of children were playing at St. Helens Park in Sydney, Australia on May 27th, 2001 at 10.30 a.m. As they were playing and wandering around, one boy stumbled across a skull that was partially buried in the ground. The boy brought it home to his mother, as kids do when they find something interesting, and when his mother realized what her son brought home, she contacted the police. The police went to the spot where the boy found the skull and started an excavation project. They found almost an entire skeleton of a middle-aged man. If you are a true crime fan, you know this can be very rare for public areas. Oftentimes, animals can scatter bones, so it's very difficult to find an entire skeleton. Police also found a gold bracelet, a wristwatch, a cigar tin, belt, and belt buckle. They also found men's clothing, shoes, food tins, glass bottles, and spent 22 millimeter caliber bullet casings. To me, with all of the items being found with him, it doesn't appear that robbery was the reason for the death. However, investigators were not able to determine the circumstances in which he died, meaning if it was at his own hand or not. So they also couldn't find a cause of death other than the bullets nearby. There are images of the skull and it doesn't look like he suffered any damage in the images and a large portion of the abdominal area seems like it's missing, so perhaps that is where he was shot. This is just my speculation, of course. Also, keep in mind that the skull was partially buried, but I didn't find anything saying if it looks like just 20 years had passed laying in nature and that caused the partial burial, or if it did look like an intentional burial where they created almost like a grave to bury the body. Also, we do know that his body was buried between 1989 and 1993, but he died between 1980 and 1985. This, to me, seems like his body was moved, but there wasn't any statement from investigators that explicitly said that. 
At the time of his death, he was likely 35 to 45 years old based on his nearly complete skeleton. He was around 166 to 174 centimeters tall, which is 5'4 to 5'7 here in the United States. His recovered bones went under anthropological testing and forensic examinations, but the results did not lead them to a reported missing person in the state. They did get some information about his genetics though. He most likely had dark brown hair, brown eyes, and was of mixed ancestry, most likely being South Asian and Middle Eastern descent. Based on his skull and his genetics, investigators put together a facial reconstruction. Detective Chief Inspector Greg Inger said to the Wallandilly advisor, I hope I said that right, Aussies, and I quote, it's also likely he may remind someone of a man that they knew way back when, and if they'd lost contact in the early 1980s, that's important information to us, end quote. So with that being said, and this goes for every Jane and John Doe case, it's highly important that we all think back and think about if someone with dark brown hair and brown eyes being of mixed ancestry, if they just dropped off the face of the earth in the 1980s, it's important to consider that this could have been our loved ones. This again goes for every single case. There really would not be any Jane or John Doe cases if the right person was able to remember someone with a similar or if not the exact same description and if they just seemed to disappear. There was definitely a lot of media coverage on this John Doe, which is not always the case, so I'm very excited about that. There are many images of the skull and the skeleton. It's nothing crazy. It just kind of looks like what stands in science rooms. It's nothing gory, so I think this case is super interesting with the entire skeleton being found, and it's also incredibly sad because we just don't know how this man died. But if you are in Sydney, Australia, or if your parents were in Sydney, Australia at that time, please go ahead and show them the image that I use in my episode's show notes. And something that I wanted to point out is the forensic artist that put together the rendering of this John Doe did include one where the man has a beard and his eyebrows are less groomed. And then he also included one where he is very well groomed. I'm personally going to be using the one where he is less groomed. I feel like it's a lot easier to picture someone without facial hair than it is to picture someone with facial hair, if that makes any sense, especially in the context of people not knowing where he was, if that makes any sense. So please go ahead and look at both images if you just aren't sure if you recognize him. Anyone with information that may assist investigators is urged to contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-333-000 or online. I will link the website where you can submit a tip. Now let's take a quick break to hear from my affiliates, which help me pay for my brand new editor who is editing this podcast episode as I speak. Deal with chronic pain, muscle soreness, migraines, or menstrual cramps, I am so excited to share one of my favorite products with you. 
Jovi is a medicine-free way to erase discomfort by using nanocapacitors to change the way your nervous system processes pain. To put it simply, it absorbs pain and tells your brain to no longer feel the pain in the specific area where you're holding the patch. Now, I know this sounds too good to be true and like some type of sci-fi fantasy gadget. So Jovi offers a no questions asked 120-day money-back guarantee. I personally love Jovi and can feel it instantly working whenever I put it on any particular area where I'm feeling pain. So get rid of any pain today and invest in a Jovi patch that will last you through years of use. You can save 10% by using the code DOEIDENTIFY or by using the link in this episode's show notes. Do you love having long, luscious eyelashes but hate the time it takes to put falsies on every morning? What about the cost of eyelash extensions and the long appointments to get them refilled? If you get just as frustrated as I do, Flutter Habit is the perfect solution for you. Flutter Habit offers DIY eyelash extensions at home that are a fraction of the price of regular extensions. Not to mention, they last for five days, which is far longer than regular glue-on eyelashes. If you're ready to up your eyelash game from the comfort of your own home, use the link in my show notes to get 10% off your first order. Thank you so much to Flutter Habit for working with me on this podcast episode. you all so much as always for taking the time to listen to my ads for my affiliates and thank you so much to everyone who has been supporting this podcast i definitely could not have hired my new editor without you now let's move on to the perth john doe on march 7th 1998 a younger man was hit by a train going northbound in perth australia for those who aren't familiar perth is the capital of western Australia and today it has a population of over 2 million but in 1998 when this man was killed it had a population of 1.4 million. He was unfortunately hit between the Burswood and Victoria Park stations at 11:20 p.m. There is a major lack of information in this case so I am using a few reddit threads as my sources but on one thread a user notes that he was walking along the train line and he may have committed suicide. The user says this could be the reason for the lack of information, I guess, in newspapers in the local area and seemingly in Australia specifically don't write about anything that could give people ideas to hurt themselves, which I think is a great idea that the US should definitely follow suit. But when the victim is unidentified, it could be very helpful if they did give this information. The reason he committed suicide is suspected to be from losing money at the Burswood Casino. This casino was very close to the train station, so it is believed he lost money, then walked to where he was eventually killed. The book Missing You by Justine Ford has a lot of information on this case, which I use in this episode. She says that investigators did approach the casino, but the footage was already removed by the time they got there. Remember, this 
was just 24 years ago, almost to the date of me publishing this episode. So technology wasn't as advanced as it is today, where everything is uploaded to the cloud and saved forever and where people take screen recordings. It just wasn't like that back then. So they unfortunately did not have the footage of the man to see if he was in the casino to confirm this theory. The man had fair skin and hazel eyes. He was starting to bald, but had strawberry blonde hair. He was between 20 and 40 years old at the time of his death. So he would be between 44 and 64 years old today. He had a slim to medium build and was 170 to 175 centimeters tall or 5'6 to 5'7. At the time of his death, he was wearing a turquoise business shirt, green trousers, a brown belt, and black river brand shoes, which I saw on the same Reddit thread that that is a popular brand in Australia for shoes. And you all know I rarely use Reddit or WebSleuth as sources, but I found this extremely helpful because it was in a different country and it was quite a long time ago so it's very helpful to get some Aussies information. So it was very helpful to get information from some local Aussies which a lot of them were in this thread. Justine Ford says in her book that the man had softer hands which makes investigators believe he did not work in manual labor. She also says the lead investigator looked into unpaid rental homes in the area and any AWOL Navy sailors and neither of these led to the John Doe's information. There was no one matching his description that was missing or had any unpaid bills. And she also said that the reason his eyes are closed in the forensic rendering is because they weren't certain of what his real eye color would be and so they didn't want to throw this off in any way. Investigators are determined to solve this case and give this man his name back. With that being said, they have tested his DNA and have done a fingerprint analysis. They ran his information domestically and internationally. Unfortunately, this didn't lead investigators anywhere. He was also profiled on Australia's Most Wanted and no one came forward recognizing the man where it panned out to actually be the man. The lead investigator, Senior Constable Jen Robinson, is very attached to this case as she put together a funeral for this man a year after he died. In the Crime Stoppers article I read for this episode, they quote her as saying, We just wanted to be able to say to his family, we did give your son a farewell. The 7th of March doesn't go by without me thinking of him. It's like Remembrance Day for me. End quote. Unfortunately, this is all I could find on the man. I ended up searching the forensic rendering of him to find any information because if you just search Perth John Doe, I think only like three or four sources pop up and they all have the same information, which is also why I got a lot of information from the Reddit thread that I will link as one of my sources. I even used Australian Google to hopefully skew my search results to the local area and find more of the local newspapers reporting on it, but I couldn't find anything. I think the Reddit user is probably correct. It sounds like they are a local Australian where they know that local newspapers and even larger 
media outlets don't really report on suicides, which the philosophy is really great, but it's important to also be sharing this man's story. You don't have to say how he died. A lot of the articles that I was able to find just said that he was hit by a train. So I think that's a really great way to not give anyone ideas or anything like that. With that being said, I do want to list the U.S.'s National Suicide Prevention Hotline. That is 800-273-8255. And it looks like Australia's National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 131114. Please go ahead and look up your local hotline if this episode was triggering for you in any way, shape, or form. It's not my intentions. I hope I covered this respectfully and carefully. If you do have information on the Perth John Doe, please report a tip at 1-800-33000 or report the information at the Crime Stoppers website. And fun fact, for both of these cases, you can anonymously report tips. You could probably even get a VPN if you're super worried about it and completely hide your IP address and your information and anonymously report tips online. I will have both of these listed in my episode show notes. Lastly, before I sign off for this episode, I wanted to address a few things that have been super exciting in my little podcast world. So, a wonderful listener of mine named Susan. She went ahead and shared my Shannon Knight episode with all of her local Chicago Facebook pages and Facebook groups, and a really large page ended up sharing my post with him. And I'm really happy to announce that an entire family found the post, and it's actually kind of funny. Shannon Knight Knight in his real life. I'm hesitant to give his real name because nothing's been super confirmed yet, but he was adopted by a foster family and then he also was in touch with his biological family and both of them found the post individually and they both messaged me with the exact same name and unfortunately mentioned that they had been searching for him for about 20 years. They shared pictures of their loved one to show me what he looked like before he had his stroke and lost his name and his memory. So I will be giving an update later, but I wanted to publicly thank Drake for requesting me to cover that case. He suggested that I cover Alive Jane and John Doe's more often because they are alive, which is so exciting. And I also want to thank Susan for sharing the post so much on my Facebook in analytics, I can see how many people saw the post and how many people interacted with it. And it's actually crazy because I consider myself an indie podcast, but that post got 
a ton of attention. I want to call it viral, but it's probably more like mini viral. But yeah, so I wanted to thank you two. I could not have gotten the family to see that post without you two. So that is just so exciting. At the end of the day, I'm just sharing stories and sharing images, but I desperately need a community to help me get all of these cases to the right audience because it's impossible for me to join every Facebook page under the sun. So I will update you all and I have requested that the family sends me images if they're comfortable of course of their reunion with him. So I would love to share those in the future with you all and I will try to make a podcast episode about this wonderful news. This is the first time I've been directly related with any type of reunion or identification. So I'm just really excited and I have the chills talking about it and my mission for this podcast has been complete from day one. I started with the hopes of just getting one person's name back. So I'm so happy and I feel very blessed that the day has come. And again, it hasn't been a hundred percent, but the fact that two sides of his family found the post and even his childhood friend found the post and we're like okay so like this is totally him and here are pictures of him it's just really crazy and fun fact shannon knight did remember his birthday it's november 2nd he thought it was november 2nd or november 21st and so it's so exciting that he remembered his real birthday because that is the birthday that his family confirmed that he has all right before i get emotional i'm going to log off thank you all so much for listening to this podcast episode Thank you for listening to the Doe Identify podcast. This episode was researched and recorded by me. This episode was edited by G. Hamilton. Tune in next time to hear more cases about unidentified victims on your favorite listening platform. Join me on social media at the Doe Identify podcast for updates and to chat about cases. See you next time. Chewy is once again one of my partnerships for this podcast. Chewy is one of the longest partnerships I have on this podcast and it's for a great reason. We started using Chewy when we got our first dog Ranger in college which was like four years ago because it helped us save so much money through their auto ship program. Now that we have two dogs we go through way more food now and the auto ship program takes remembering to buy them their food every month off my plate completely. All I did was set up the frequency I want their food to be delivered and it comes every single month. If you would like to try out the AutoShip program, you can save 30% on your first order using my link in the show notes. If you have a fur baby, I know you will love Chewy as much as I do.